0: Hello. Welcome to the Countryside Kitchen Meets, a food and farming podcast. I'm Millie Fife, your host, a mum of two, farmer's wife, food producer and passionate about flying the flag for British food and farming. Today we'll be chatting to gold medal winning Paralympian Charlotte Henshaw. We'll talk to her shortly. Then I've got a few time saving hacks when it comes to mealtime preparations, meaning you can juggle family life for the children and cook a tasty, nutritious meal. Okay, so today I have a very special guest with me. I am incredibly excited to introduce to you my show guest. I first met Charlotte at a fabulous lunch in London, celebrating inspirational women from all walks of life at the Women of the Year Awards. Charlotte and I sat next to each other at the lunch and really struck it off from the get-go, chatting about our lives, what we both do, and was in complete awe of the amazing women in the room as us. Charlotte's achievements are simply outstanding, especially for someone so young. Charlotte is a four-time Paralympic athlete, winning medals across two sports over the span of 13 years. Charlotte started her career as a para swimmer, competing in three Paralympic Games in the pool, winning silver at London 2012 Games and bronze in Rio in 2016, In 2017, she pursued the new challenge of para canoe, winning her first international medal just six months after sitting in a boat for the first time. Wow. And 2018, she became world champion and is unbeaten internationally since then. This summer, she became Paralympic champion at the delayed Tokyo Games. Amazing. Wow. Charlotte, hello. Welcome. Welcome. Hello thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you so much for coming
1: on how are you tell me what you've been up to since I last saw you. Oh well when we went to that amazing lunch and um, that was kind of part of the way through my my off season after after the games and after the world championships so um, it was my off time was quite a lot more of that to be honest sort of um, going to lovely things that people had invited me to and then also taking a bit of time to to catch up with friends and family that I'd not really been able to to do in the lead up to the games because obviously uh, we were living on quite a restricted uh, sort of timetable because of COVID and trying to keep ourselves safe to go out to the games. so I feel like I'd not seen anyone or done anything that remotely resembled normality for such a long time so I've just been trying to do a bit of that really within reason and um, back in training now but um really thankful that I managed to have a, a good chunk of time away and, and just reset physically and mentally really.
0: Yeah it's so important though isn't it you've got to really strike a balance between mm-hmm. sort of career home life and everything
1: in between. Yeah and that, that's really important to me I know lots of athletes talk about things that they sacrifice and I, I say that in inverted commas and and some things you know, you do have to sacrifice, you have to give up things occasionally that you really wish you didn't have to. But I also think that it's important to strike that balance of not giving up everything that's really important to you. And actually, I found that trying to strike that balance has actually made me a better athlete. I think Mm -hmm. when I cut out all of the social things that I I enjoy doing and seeing the people that love me and who I love really feeds me and Mm you know, not having that actually made me a poor athlete. So I think you have to do, absolutely have to strike a right balance of it. Yeah, definitely. So tell me,
0: where did it all begin? Talk about your career journey. How did you get involved in, in Olympic athlete? Uh, yeah, all
1: the yeah. amazing things that you've been doing. So I, um, you know, started in sport just like most people do, like every athlete does, I think. Um, so I was I was a very active kid um, and I was born with my disability. So I had uh, both my legs amputated at the knee when I was 15 months old. But the reason why was a congenital sort of birth defect. So my parents were really passionate about when I was a kid getting me as active as possible because not only would it help me sort of socially, but also it would help me physically to then, you know, live a very active and able life as much as possible with my prosthetics. So I was always sort of, um, I was going to swing lessons when I was a kid and I was doing rainbows and brownies and all of that sort of stuff Mm. that most, you know, kids would do something around school. And the thing that I loved was swimming and the thing that i was good at was swimming so i joined a local swimming club and i think it was a they were probably a bit apprehensive at having a young disabled girl in with sort of all the able-bodied children but i really credit that um as to why i've been so successful because i i i kind of i didn't get any special treatment it was kind mm-hmm. of like oh well, i had to just join in with everyone else and yes accommodations were made but for the for the most part I was doing what everyone else was doing and and it really progressed from there I, I did the very usual swimming route of it you do you do one night after school and then suddenly you're doing three nights after school and then you start to do mornings before school and <laughs> it snowballs from there and then by the time I was in sixth form doing my A-levels I was competing for Great Britain so it was a real gradual process but I think I'm glad of that because it wasn't like an overnight thing it was mm. it was a lot of growing and learning throughout those kind of formative years which was really helpful.
0: Amazing and that's obviously built the
1: foundations on where you are now today. Absolutely yeah I mean obviously I had an incredible career in the swimming pool you know going to three Paralympic Games winning two medals um, at London and Rio and um, I came fourth in Beijing which is still hard to kind of think about. Fourth is like the worst place to come in, <laughs> in sport, but it was it was my first games, and actually it really pushed me on to, to then the London games where I, I won a silver medal. So it gave me that nice foundation, and then to come into my second sport, I've been training for so many years. It's kind of built that sort that engine, that robustness, that drive, and that motivation, and that hard work has been instilled in me for so many years that I mm. think that's partly the reason why that transition to canoeing has has been so quick because all of those years of hard work in the pool of of yes it's a different sport but they've put me in a good place to kind of move across to to this one
0: yeah and 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 what made you make the move into canoeing is it something that you just thought oh I can never go at that and you just it just clicked or what how, how did it come about
1: yeah so it was a combination of things actually so I was I was coming up to my 30th birthday in the January after the the games, the September before. So I was in swimming. That's quite, that's quite old. Like Mm. our team were made up of teenagers pretty much in, in, in in Rio, sorry. And so I knew that I probably physically wasn't going to be able to continue the sort of training that I needed to do in swimming. It's a lot of mileage and because Mm. of my disability, I only swam with, my arms and that's a lot of mileage to put through your shoulders for so many years. And the event that I swam, which was a hundred breaststroke moved on very significantly between the London and the Rio games. And I'd managed to move with it, but I wasn't sure I was going to be able to do that again for another four years. So that kind of started me thinking of, you know, what, what the future might hold is, is that retirement from sport completely? Or is that, you know, could I offer something else to another sport And I was pointed in the direction of, of para canoe by um, UK sport who, who fund, you know, Olympic and Paralympic sport in, in the UK. And they had a, they have a program called talent transfer. And if you are interested in trying another sport, they kind of, they kind of match you up to where you, they think you would be suited and also the sports that are looking for new athletes. And, and canoeing was one of them. And I'd never sat in a kayak before and I had no idea if I'd be any good at it, but it was exciting because it was something different from what I'd always known. And I think that's partly the other reason that I I switched over was, I think I was talking to a lot of my friends who, you know, we were turning 30, they're not involved in sport at all, but they also found that they'd got to this point in their life where they were looking for something, a new challenge, like a couple of my friends switched careers. Like it seemed to be just a really interesting time for lots of people that I knew. And so I think it married (laughs) up really nicely with, that point in my life where I was looking for a a different challenge and and canoeing with it amazing oh no it just sounds like
0: sounds like a seamless link really in um it just seems like a real match made in heaven really and um to then in six months basically be winning (laughs) medals and competitions having just sort of um got it got into that sport is incredible and I mean and then to to represent Team GB at Tokyo I mean
1: what was that like what were your expectations of that um well I think when I moved over to canoeing it was it was a bit of a pipe dream to be honest because I had no idea if I only had I thought I had four years at that point to try and make it to um Tokyo and so I wasn't sure if that was even possible to, to switch sports and then within four years learn the new sport, mm. become good at it and be competitive enough to get selected for a Games. I didn't know if that was a real achievable thing. Mm. And then very quickly I realised that I was probably going to have a decent shot of going to the Games. Um, and throughout those three years my, my perspective shifted from well, I'd love to see if I would be able to put myself in the mix to suddenly you can win it and become Paralympic champion like that switch very quickly probably within the space of 18 months that was the kind of mindset switch but then obviously the pandemic happened and we then had that year's delay to the games which for somebody like myself like I was I was ready to do it in 2020 mm. I, I would have been happy to race in 2020 I was physically able to be competitive I think but I tried to sort of get my head around that year's delay and seeing it in a, in a more positive way and you know think that I'm still very early in my para canoe career so another year to to learn it more and and be a better athlete was mm. was was probably a good thing for me um so I didn't really have any expectations of what a games in a pandemic would be. Like we didn't have a clue what that was going to be like, but it was an amazing experience. And, you know, I think we have to give credit hugely to the Japanese organizing committee and the Japanese people for putting on a games in a, in really difficult time and a time where they, I don't think they really wanted to do it, but they committed to it. And mm-hmm. um, actually they did a fantastic job and, you know, I'll just be forever grateful that they decided to do it in such tough circumstances because, mm. um, you know, we'd worked so hard for it, and it would have been a real shame to to not get that opportunity to to go and race there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, getting in that canoe, and you know, what was your mindset? I mean, you know, to then to then winning a gold medal at an Olympic Games. I mean, what does that feel like?
1: <laughs> uh, so the 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 day of the race, I remember feeling extremely nervous. I think I, I'd expected to feel some pressure because I was the reigning world champion going in. And so I expected to feel a bit of pressure externally and also from myself, because I knew that I was capable of winning. If I, you know, if, if I put down a good performance, obviously you can't ever control what anyone else does. So there's only so much that you can control in sport or in anything really. But I knew that if I performed as well as I could that I gave myself a real good shot so I I felt really nervous and I think getting in the kayak for that for that final because for canoeing you kind of get on the water for your warm up like probably about half an hour before the actual race so I once you're in your boat you don't see anyone else you don't see any of your coaches or anybody again until after the race so that last half an hour before the race time you are very much on your own in your own thoughts like going through your warm-up process and the only other people that you see are people who are about to race either against you or just before just after you Mm. so it's quite that's quite a challenge to and it's something that we train for is to navigate those 30 minutes where your thoughts can run away with you and so I think you know it's trying to embrace the nerves but also not allow them to overtake everything um Mm. And I don't actually remember the race that well. I remember the last maybe 15 seconds of it, the first bit, complete blur, the start. I, I couldn't tell you what happened, but the last 15 seconds or so, I knew that I was in front. And I knew I could sense that Emma, who is um, my teammate, and she got silver. I could sense she wasn't too far away from me. I knew she was hanging onto my coattails. So I just remember gritting my teeth and thinking, you do not lose this race. Like just get, there's there's some cubes at the end that tell you which lane you're in, like <coughs> the, the lane numbers. And um, I just remember looking at my lane number and the big cube and thinking, just paddle to that as quickly as you possibly can. Like, It'll be over soon. I know it's hurting And I remember all these thoughts going through my head. But then as soon as I crossed the line, like it was just, I think it was just a huge weight off my shoulders and a relief that I'd finally managed to win a Paralympic gold after four times trying (laughs) so amazing relief yeah for sure
0: oh my goodness and when we were at the lunch you brought your gold medal along and Mm. I mean it's it's amazing it's just you know to have that and obviously as a collection you know you've got the whole whole collection haven't you I Um, have
1: and yeah, you- I I had a I had a spot missing, and that thankfully I've I've filled it now, so I've got the full set, which is nice.
0: <laughs> yeah, and didn't you say it was made from recycled fa- mobile phones or something? It's yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: it is, and I think that's one thing that Japan were really keen on is to have was to have a more environmentally friendly, more sustainable games, and lots there was recycling points all over the athlete village. They were trying that one of their aims and it was all on the, the drinks fridges in the food hall was to recycle every plastic bottle that was used at the games mm. and have it be recycled and so mm. there was a real big drive of that and yes I think the metal podiums were made of recycled materials and they'd had a drive <laughs> 18 months before um the the games to get people to donate their electronic devices so that they could then melt them down and use the metal components to make the medals for the Olympics and the Paralympics which is which is lovely because you know obviously it's it's recycling and it also means that the Japanese people are actually a part of the things that the athletes took away you know it, it, it our medals are made of the things that they owned and mm. I think that's just a really nice thing for them to to know that you know we've taken that with us and we'll cherish it for a long time <coughs>
0: Fantastic. And as this is a foodie podcast, shall we talk a little bit about a sportswoman's
1: diet? Yeah. You know, what, what? what's your regime? What do you follow? So, for, you know, it's, it's interesting, actually, because I've had to change my diet quite a lot since I moved to canoeing. It's a very different kind of fueling that we, mm. we work with. So. Uh, whereas in swimming, I used to eat three big meals a day because the the training times kind of lent itself to that. Mm. Whereas in canoeing, I'm more, much more of a grazer now. Like I eat lots of meals. I eat regularly. I'm pretty much always eating. So, um, you know, it it and I think it's about certainly in the winter we we do a periodized year. So we try to build our strength and our muscle and our our mass in winter. So. We almost go into sort of a, a calorie excess over the winter. So it's really good nutritious, like carb based meals and um, lots of porridge for breakfast, um, making sure we get good protein in 20 minutes post training. <coughs> so I, I learned a lot about timing of my food. And so I'm quite often driving home with like a pizza bread in my hand or a shake that's got a banana in it and some oats and you know it, a lot of it and I think it's similar to what you were saying earlier about um you know trying to combine eating good food with a busy lifestyle mm-hmm. it's for me it's a lot of planning and lots of Tupperware things like that so that I can make my food and I'm getting good food in but acknowledging that it's always not always going to be easy because I'm busy and I'm, yeah you're I'm, on you know, the go all the time. That, that's a challenge and it's something you have to plan for.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you're on the go all the time, you, you know, you need to eat well, um, mm. but often that's not possible. And so it is, it is meal planning, planning ahead and um, looking at what you can put together, presumably from scratch. I know and I'm sure you do as well about you know um eating whole foods rather than processed foods is going to be a lot better for your body
1: and being able to feel fuel yourself and you have energy for a lot longer absolutely and mm. and again that's not like you said it's not always easy especially if you're commuting or you're traveling a lot like It's really difficult to, to, and sometimes you can't avoid it. Sometimes it's a case of like, you've got to eat. So let's make this choice and go and choose this from, you know, the train station shop. Like sometimes you can't avoid that. But I try to, I've always got snacks in my handbag. Like my friends always take the mickey out of me because they're like, if you ha- if I haven't got snacks, like I get a bit like hangry. <laughs> so they're always like, Charlotte needs a snack. Like you've not got any in your handbag <laughs> I always have them. And I have like snacks in my car so that, and it, you're right. It's like, I have a packet of nuts in there. I always chuck a banana in my handbag because like that's a really good snack to kind of give you some energy And yes, I've definitely um, made a more conscious effort recently. And I think the pandemic helped me actually because it gave (laughs) me more time to explore cooking. And I've kind of got to know certain recipes from scratch that I can just cook on a Sunday and then I'll either chuck them in like a freezer bag or in a, a Tupperware and then they're there and I can get it out the freezer or I can get it out the fridge. And I know that I've got something there if all else fails. So absolutely. I think it's really key if you have the time and the means to, to try and get at least a couple of recipes down from scratch. So that they're your staples in your diet and it can be a bit boring, but mm-hmm. at least you've always got that backup and that reliable food there ready to go. Definitely. And,
0: what what do you you say you've got a, a bit of a repertoire now with dishes? What are your favourite things that you like to cook?
1: So um, I I I love a chili. Like they're mm. so easy to kind of chuck in a pan. Like it's not fancy, just stick in. And I like the fact that you can you know have the variety of what you enjoy in there. Like I'm not a sucker for like I'm not a religious chili got to be kidney beans and nothing else like if i've got stuff to use i'll just chuck it in there like i don't want to waste any veg so i'll just throw it in yeah um and so i quite often do that and i'll vary it with whatever meat i've got i quite like to make like a soup from i it was um nadia who won the bake off oh yeah yeah on her instagram about it's like scrap soup or something and she saves all of her like uh, vegetable peelings and things like that and um, took loads of spices in it and makes a really delicious soup from that and so I, I got quite good at not being wasteful of my like my scraps from my veg that's that's one that I kind of try and use do quite a bit and then like a good like an, a slightly lower calorie like um creamy sort of chicken um, I use sort of like low-fat Philadelphia and chicken stock and just chuck it in a pan with some chicken um, breasts. And it's so versatile. Like I can eat it cold the next day with some potatoes and a salad or I can have it hot with some rice or some um, like a, a baked potato and some veg. Like that's one of my favorite things to cook because it's mm. it is so versatile and quite often I'll not have time to heat my food up. So it needs to be something that tastes good cold as well yeah oh it sounds amazing you making me
0: really hungry <laughs> I know I'm like oh I should get it to lunch soon. <clears throat> absolutely um I mean are, are there any other sort of quick recipes what are your go-to meals when you're training um because obviously being busy and on the go um you know is there any um anything special
1: or quick that you uh like to make uh I think if I'm stuck for time it's mm. usually a chili that I'll make because yeah. you know you could just brown your mince off and then just leave it to kind of bubble for like 20 minutes while I'm Mm. doing something and it's such a good batch cook one which I quite often have you know boxes of chili in my freezer Mm -hmm. because and again it can be really varied like sometimes I'll stick it on a on a baked potato sometimes I'll you have it traditionally with rice sometimes I'll kind of vary it and and have it just as a big one pot with whatever I've got left and just mix it all together so I think a chili if you can handle the spice I think it's a really good staple thing to have and you can also vary the spice especially if you're cooking for children mm. Like just take some out before you put your really hot spice in or whatever so I think it's really versatile and you can change up the taste like I always put a cube of dark chocolate in mine which is oh mate oh, is that's such a, yeah which yeah. Is, you know, I, I was like dark chocolate in a chili but once once I did it someone had told me that and I just stick a couple of squares in and it just makes it really rich and lovely and um yeah it's one of my favorite meals I know it's basic but you can't go wrong with it oh
0: no know. no my kids absolutely love it and I I often um do a chili and have tortilla wraps and put some cheese with it and exactly. I, they love it absolutely love it no it's yeah. very versatile like you say and um absolutely. it's a crowd pleaser and it's a family favorite yeah. as well so ace. absolutely. Um, so how
1: how can people follow you Charlotte? So I am on um, Twitter and Instagram at, at C Henshaw GB on both of them. And yeah, I love to kind of, I love that about social media is kind of interacting with people. And mm. um, you know, I think certainly as, a, as somebody with a disability, I think it's quite important to have a bit of a social media presence. I think having role models and people that represent Certainly, people with a disability um, who can potentially have a positive impact. I think that's really important. So it's one of mm. my favourite parts of having a small profile, but um, showing people what is possible. I think um, hopefully it can make some sort of difference. So, oh, you, you, you
0: know, you're, you're definitely doing that, Charlotte. Honestly, it's amazing. I mean, the following that you've got as well, and um, and your achievements are just incredible and you are really inspiring and I was look I was looking at your Instagram last night actually I was doing a bit of homework and I was thinking my god your guns you know the <laughs> your upper body oh. strength must be incredible
1: yeah yeah and uh, honestly those muscles are made in the kitchen genuinely like <laughs> they're worked on in the gym but they are made in the kitchen and that that's something I've learned certainly from canoeing is y- y- you know food is so important and I uh, I am such a foodie like I love to eat and I one of my favorite things to do before the pandemic was to go out for a a meal with people and you know it's such a it's such a not only for the food but like the the, what you get from sharing a meal with someone like just the conversation and whether it's you know your family around a dinner table at home or And I think that's something that I was always valued when I grew up was like, we always used to sit down to the table to eat for at least one meal a day. And Mm. the conversations that came up around that, and I understand not everybody can do it all the time because people are busy, but I love to sit around and share conversation over, over a meal. It's one of my favorite things to do. So yeah, um, those, those muscles were certainly made in my kitchen for sure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Excellent, and and so what what's
1: next for you? Uh, so I have just got back into training for the winter, and usually in canoeing, there's not much that goes on during sort of September to March time because the winter doesn't lend itself to to comp- competition for us. So it's just about the hard graft during the winter, and then March April time we'll start to compete again. Uh, We have a world championships next year in Canada, and then we have um, a a European championships a couple of weeks later in in Munich. So we've got a fairly busy international couple of weeks in the summer next year. And then the following year, we start the qualification process for for Paris because obviously with having that longer time between Rio and Tokyo has meant now we've got a shorter period of time between Tokyo and Paris. So the next games will be here before we know it. So we're just kind of on that trajectory towards um, Paris 2024. Wow. Oh, my goodness. That is going to come around really quick, like you said. But Aligning. I'm very excited to get, hopefully go to France. And then when I've competed, assuming hopefully I get selected, go and like eat loads of bread and cheese and have some nice red wine. I, mm. I'm very much looking forward to my time in France after I've competed. <laughs> excellent oh no
0: it'll be good to have some downtime afterwards and (laughs) uh, relax and enjoy and hopefully celebrate well celebrate everyone's successes because i mean just just getting there i mean for a lot of people it just feels like such uh, a a hard thing to to reach but uh, you know you make it sound like it's it's achievable for you know if you set your sights um then you know anything's possible it's amazing right we're just going to talk about some time saving hacks now Don't peel your vegetables. It sounds silly and pretty simple, but will save some time. And keep things like potatoes unpeeled, carrots and parsnips. Why? Because it's actually much better and healthier for you. Several studies have found that keeping vegetables with peel on can help us feel fuller for longer. And at least 30% of the nutrients, antioxidants and fiber are found in the peel, helping to aid digestion and keeping you regular. I like to make a fish pie with fluffy mash, keeping the potato skins on and it goes all crispy on the top and it is proper tasty. It's so good. So put down that peeler (laughs) and in season right now, parsnips, lovely, lovely sweet parsnips. I grow a few in my garden and this season they've actually been really difficult to get established They seem to taste better once we've had a few frosts or that's what my dad always told me anyway, but trying to dig them up and use them before the slugs get them is always a challenge for me. (laughs) Um, But parsnips can be a real hero on your plate, especially as part of a roast dinner, simply wash them, don't peel them and chop them lengthways and roast them with some honey. That's always really nice. Or a curried parsnip soup is always pretty tasty uh, chop the parsnips up lengthways, roast in honey for 40 minutes and then whiz them up with a stick blender, add some cream, chicken stock and some curry powder or chilli flakes um, to add a, add a bit of a kick and that is a proper winter warmer. And How does that sound,
1: Charlotte? Well, I was just thinking I'm going to put some parsnips on my <laughs> my shopping because i i i haven't got the ability to grow my own but i i will do when i've got the means. i will absolutely be growing my own but ne- yeah now i want some parsnips that's going to be my next week's uh, meals i think
0: oh they're so good um they are they definitely a hero on our plate anyway and um the kids like them because they're so sweet so mm-hmm. it's always a winner Next month on the Countryside Kitchen Meet, we'll be talking to social media sensation Elsie May, a 12-year-old girl who has been producing short videos about shopping locally and supporting independent producers, helping to reduce our impact on climate change following the COP26 summit. We'll chat to her about her career prospects, her motivation to produce the videos, and how much of an understanding her school friends have on how food is produced. So don't forget to subscribe and tune in on the first of every month. Thank you, Charlotte. You've been amazing. It's been so lovely to catch up with you and keep up the amazing work. And Thank I, ha- you. I hope 2022 is a huge success for you.
1: Thank you very much for having
0: me. Oh, it's been wonderful. Thank you. All right. We'll see everyone soon. Bye!